Let's open to Isaiah chapter 38, where Pastor Lane read for us this morning. I've titled this morning's message, A Tale of Two Prayers. And as we look at this section of the book of Isaiah, 66 books long, we completed 1 through 35, which deals with a lot of prophecies that dealt with judgments against the nations surrounding Israel that have been fulfilled. So as you look at chapter 1 through 35, these are prophecies that have come to completion, past tense. Now, on Wednesday, we went through 36 through 39. It is the second division of the book of Isaiah. It zeroes in on one particular king whose name is Hezekiah. And the setting, two major events that take place during this time, is Sennacherib, who is the king of Assyria, the most powerful empire in the world at this time, has already defeated uh, the 10 northern tribes in 721 BC, took them into captivity. So they're out of the picture. They're like Alexander the Great's army. Nothing's going to slow Sennacherib's armies down. Wherever they go, they just roll over who's ever in front of them. And now it's the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign. And two things happen in this year, in the 14th year of Hezekiah. He is being besieged. The city is surrounded by Sennacherib's army. And if you go back to chapter 36, let me just walk you through what's taking place here. Sennacherib is camped out in a city that's called Dan or Lachish. And he sends a messenger, Rabshakai, who's sort of his general. And he basically goes down to taunt the people in Jerusalem with the idea to get them to capitulate. He basically is saying, who do you guys think you're, you're fooling? Nobody's stopping us from taking you over. And they get a little upset because they're speaking to them in the Hebrew language. And everybody is understanding it, and they're asking him not to do that. Um, But, you know, that's just taunting this messenger even more, and there's just more trash talk to bring fear. And um, the idea is just give up without a fight so that nobody has to die. But if you look at the last couple verses of 36, after all this back-and-forth trash talk is taking place, you guys, there's no, you don't have a chance, give up, it's all over. They say, but in verse 21, but they held their peace. These, these are the people on the wall and the spokesman for Hezekiah. Uh, they held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, don't answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household of Shebna, the scribe, and Joash, the son of Asaph, the recorder, then they come to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him all the words of Reg Shakiah. So now they have to bring the report to Hezekiah. So chapter 36 is basically saying, you guys need to give up. You don't have a chance. Give it up. They don't say a word, but yet the reality of the situation is it's true. They said, which gods have ever stopped Sennacherib? And they really couldn't point to anybody. And they were fearful, so they rent their clothes. Now they got to go report to to King Hezekiah. So in verse 1 of 37, they bring the report. Um, 
Hezekiah hears it, and uh, he also put himself in sackcloth, and he goes to the house of the Lord, and he begins to pray. And he lifts up his voice to the Lord, and he, he, this is his first prayer, and he begs the Lord to intercede. And in verse 14, when he hears it, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Hezekiah went to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. He says, look, Lord, this is what they're going to do. This is what they're saying. He just lays it out to the Lord. The Lord speaks to Isaiah. He said, I've heard. I said, I want you to go back and talk to Hezekiah. Tell him I've heard his word. And um, this is what I'm going to do to Sennacherib. I'm going to take care of him my own way. But he says, as far as you're concerned, I don't want you to worry about it. They've insulted me, not you. And all these other gods that they're boasting about that they took, they're not gods. But I am God, and I'm the true and the living God, and I'm going to prove that to them. So as we sum up chapter 37, picking it up in verse 33, the word now that comes from Isaiah to Hezekiah Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he's not going to come into the city. He's not going to shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, it'll be the same way he returns. And he will not come to this city, says the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrian 185,000. He wiped out the whole Assyrian army, one angel in one night, and these guys are history. Now, the Lord prophesied that he was going to send Sennacherib back home the same way that he came. So Sennacherib makes it out alive, and he goes, and we read that he went home to Assyria and Nineveh, and he went to worship in his god, Nisroch. But while he was in there doing that, his two sons come in and kill him, and one of them takes his place. So we have, in one evening, the complete annihilation of not only the leader Sennacherib, but the entire Syrian army, uh, handled very easily by one angel. <laughs> it gives me pause when whenever an angel appears to anyone, uh, the reaction is always one of fear. And the first thing that the angel has to say is one of two things. Uh, First, don't get down and worship me. I'm just an angel. And then the second thing is, don't be afraid. Well, why do you think they're saying don't be afraid? If we ever saw an angel of the Lord, you would be afraid. They're not always this beautiful figure. I see them as as mighty, in some cases, mighty warriors. Uh, in men's prayer on Saturday morning, we, were, we happened to be in Daniel 10. And there's obviously different layers of authority when it comes to the realm of angels. There's powers and principalities. So in Daniel 10, Daniel prays, but his prayer is held up for three weeks because some demonic angel doesn't want this message to get through. And... Um, he had more authority and strength, and he, he was preventing this message to get through to, 
to answer Daniel's prayer. That is, until a heavier weight like Michael showed up. And when Michael showed up, well, he had more authority and strength than the other angel, and he was able to go on and deliver the message. And then he says something interesting, just as as it pertains to the day. He says, well, I'm going to leave now because I have to go take care of matters with the king of uh, Persia, which was uh, a force that um, a demonic spirit involved with uh, Persia, which is called modern-day Iran, which is the number one enemy of the nation of Israel and is called for Israel's complete and utter destruction. So a lot of what we see going on behind the scenes, well, we don't see. And it leads us to our text where Pastor Lane read for us this morning. Now that that's behind him, um, there is no threat. But it is during this 14th year, when you do the math, that in chapter 38, our text, Hezekiah is extremely sick with a boil. And it happened in the 14th year. So let's read our text this morning. In those days, Hezekiah was sick near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you will die and you're not going to live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and he prayed to the Lord. He said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I've walked before you in truth. I did it with a loyal heart. I have done what is good in your sight. And then he breaks down and he weeps bitterly. And, um, you know, you have to put yourself in that environment. I mean, here's the Lord saying, hey, put your house in order, get your act together, make sure everything's right, because I'm taking you home. And you hear words like that, and, you know, I'm sure he's thinking maybe, well, what did I do wrong, and, He goes through the list. He says, no, I've walked uprightly before you, Lord. And the fact of the matter is, I don't want to die. (laughs) And um, he breaks down and he weeps. And the word here is bitterly. Now, then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah and said, okay, I want you to go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. I've heard your prayer, Hezekiah. I've seen your tears. And I'm going to add to your days 15 years. Interesting to me, this whole scenario. Because the Lord said, this is going to happen. And in this case, Hezekiah's prayer changed. um, And I'm going to call this, and I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, what I might call plan A. I think plan A for Hezekiah was, it's your time. And um, interesting thing about time in the scriptures. Galatians 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. It was a certain set time. When the fullness of time came, um, starting with the days of creation, following it through to the number of days that the waters were on the earth, 150 Days. Uh, when the ark came to rest was on a certain day, the 17th of Nisan. Uh, the very day that the Messiah would be revealed. In Daniel 9, it says, Know therefore and understand from the command to restore or rebuild Jerusalem until the prince shall be 
seven weeks, three score and two weeks, or 483 years, or 177, 380 days. I mean, it's right down to the day. So the Lord is into numbers, and he's into appointments, and every person, including myself here this morning, has a certain amount of days, and the Lord knows exactly when that day is. And it says, okay, your time is up. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says this. It is appointed unto man once to die. Well, what does appointed mean? And it's a set calendar. God's got it all written down. This is your time, and this is when I'm gonna bring you home. And after this, the judgment. Now for the church, it'll be the judgment seat of Christ. will have nothing to do with your sins, but what you've done while you were here on planet Earth, between the two dashes, the time you were born, Time you die, that dash. And you'll be rewarded. And again, nothing to do with your sins. That's all been taken care of. That's what communion was about this morning. Hezekiah had an appointed day. Hezekiah, set your house in order. I'm bringing you home. And he prayed, and it's interesting to me, and I don't have the answer um, why the Lord answered his prayer, but he did. Uh, But let's just talk about the reality of dying for a second. Nobody really wants to die. And um, the most astute observer of probably the nature of man is Lucifer. And his observation and comment about man wanting to live at all costs was... Uh, Job 2, Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yea, all that a man has, he will give for his life. I mean, even if you're born again and love the Lord and want to be with the Lord, you still don't want to die. Now, my dad loved the Lord. He loved to sing. And when he had cancer, um, I remember talking to him about about, uh, he lost his voice because of the, the cancer was out of his vocal cord. And they couldn't do a surgery on it. But yet, you know, he, he um, tried every method to prolong uh, staying alive. And I think it's only natural. Tendency that um, uh, we just don't want to die. Just two days ago, I was in the car with a brother in the church. And he was listening to a Christian radio station. And it was J. Vernon McGee. And I said, hey, it's my buddy J. Vernon McGee. And he said, that's who that is? And I says, you don't know the voice of J. Vernon McGee? <laughs> and all of a sudden, he breaks into this story about not wanting to die. And I said, I gotta hear this, because this is what I'm talking about on Sunday. So J. Vernon is telling this story about a pastor um, who is in the pulpit, and he says, now, who wants to go to heaven? Raise your hand. And of course, everybody raises their hand, except one little boy in the first roll. And the pastor looks down at him and says, why didn't you raise your hand? Don't you want to go to heaven? He says, yeah, but I thought you were getting a bus ready for tonight. (laughs) Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And... um, And I don't think Hezekiah is any different. He walked rightly before the Lord. Um, It's rare because we have the prophet of God speaking. It's a done deal. It's going to happen. But he asks him not to happen. 
So Lord, I don't want to die. Lord, remember all that I've done for you. And Lord, for some reason, granted it. Now there's been other times when, when people haven't prayed and the Lord had to make corrections and he goes back and sets things right. I think of David. David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. And um, the prophet, I think it was Nathan at the time, says, go for it, David. And um, on his way home, after giving a green light to David to build the temple, the Lord spoke because they weren't talking to the Lord and the prophet didn't talk to the Lord. And he says, sorry, you're going to have to go back to David and tell him he can't build my temple. But he's got too much blood on his hands. I'm going to let that job be for his son. So he had to go back to David said, sorry, David, I didn't talk to the Lord about this one. Thus says the Lord, you can't do it. Too much blood on your hands. But I'm going to build you a house. And it's one of the great prophecies in the Bible because what he was saying is the Messiah is going to come from your bloodline. I'm going to build your house and it's going to be established. And when he used the word forever, the lights went on upstairs for David. And and he says, Lord, it's just too much. I can't believe that you would do that for me, that from, from my line... That's why Jesus is called the son of David. Goes through the lineage of David. But in this case, the Lord granted it. And I'd like to call this prayer that the Lord heard the accepted plan B for Hezekiah's life because he got the extra 15 years that he wanted. I believe plan A was, now's a good time to go home. He didn't want to. He lays his heart out before the Lord. He weeps bitterly. He says, okay, I'll give you 15 years. And so he comes back with plan B. And um, plan A would have went something like this. He would have died. He would have gone to be with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in a place that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 16 called Abraham's bosom called paradise. It would have been a place of comfort. The terrible, painful boil that he had, the affliction, would have been a non-issue. And eventually Jesus would show up after the resurrection when he descended into hell. And uh, he would have been part of that group that would have been taken out of Abraham's bosom. That chamber is empty today. So that's plan A. No more suffering, no more pain. And and, uh, that, that would have been. However... We have plan B that gave him 15 more years, but what happened in those 15 years is now the question. And there were two major events that transpired in the next 15 years. And to find out what they were, I'm going to have you turn back to 2 Kings, which tells the same story, only adds more detail. In 2 Kings chapter 20, first of all, Hezekiah is a little hesitant. What 2 Kings tells us that Isaiah 38 does not, Isaiah just tells us about the sundial going backwards 10 degrees. What 2 Kings tells us, okay, you say I'm going to be healed, but how do I know for sure? And he says, well, what would you like to see? Would you like to see the sun?" I'll go ahead 10 degrees, or would you like to see it go backwards 10 degrees? And Hezekiah is thinking, no big deal, see it go forward. 
But in order for it to go backwards, we've got to change the whole course of the solar system. Let's try that one. And that's exactly what happened. The sundial went back 10 degrees. And that's what we read up here uh, in Second um, Kings chapter 20. Um, but I'd like to pick it up in oh, verse 12. The first thing that, that happened is, he is he's been healed. He was told by the prophet to take some figs use it as a poultice to put on his boil, and he would recover. And sure enough, that's what happened. So now the word is out. The king of Israel hasn't died. He's alive and well. The word gets up to Babylon, which is just a a nothing city. Assyrian was the power, but they're really nothing to worry about. And a delegation is sent down to say, like you go visit a friend after they've been sick for a while and you want to see how they're doing. So picking up in 12, it says, at that time, uh, uh, Barodach and Baladan, the, the son of Baladan, the king of Babylon, he had sent letters and a present to Hezekiah for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the house of the treasuries, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious ointment, all his armory, all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in the house or in his dominion that Hezekiah didn't show him. And then Hezekiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said, hey, what did you show the men, and where did they come from? And Hezekiah said, well, the guys came down to wish me well from Babylon. And he says, have they seen your house? And Hezekiah said, yeah, I've, I've showed them all my house, uh, all my treasures. I've, show, I've shown them everything. And then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Now this is a prophecy. He's saying, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house your fathers have accumulated until this day. Everything that the kings have gathered up to this time shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they will even take some of your sons who will descend from uh, you, whom you will beget, and they will be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now that's a pretty direct, specific, detailed prophecy. The question is, did it happen? I want you to keep your finger here because we're coming right back to it. Let's go to the first chapter of Daniel chapter 1. It just doesn't say that they're going to be taken captive, but he says he's going to take the cream of the crop and make them eunuchs. So in Daniel chapter 1, when Babylon did come to power and Nebuchadnezzar was king, There was back and forth for a couple of years of paying tribute with the last couple of kings, Jehoiakim and Jehoiakim. And um, he rebelled against the king of Babylon. So in three different sieges, Nebuchadnezzar begins to destroy Jerusalem. The first time he comes, uh, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem, besieged it, 
And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, into the house of his God, and he brought the articles of the treasures of the house of his God. Then the king instructed Aspedaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, the young men in whom there's no blemish. He wanted them to be good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, uh, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And then it names them, Daniel, and um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here, exactly as prophesied, is exactly what happened. He took the cream of the crop, and they became servants, and they were also uh, eunuchs. Let's go to chapter 5. Chapter 5 is concerning the treasures that they carried away and um, reigning his father, there's uh, no, no name in the Hebrew for grandfather, so uh, this guy would have been the second to the throne, but he's, Belshazzar is um, watching the shop while his father's away at war. And we're told that he threw this party and he commands that they go into their temple and to bring the gold vessels that were taken from Jerusalem that the king and the lords and his concubines might drink from them. And they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem. Just exactly like Isaiah had prophesied to Hezekiah. You showed them what? (laughs) Well, let me tell you what's going to happen. And he nails it. Again, we see the accuracy of Bible prophecy coming to pass. Now, let's go back to chapter 38. That would have never happened if he would have accepted plan A. But there's something worse that happened. As you look at um, 2 Kings now chapter 21, We read that, well, let's finish out chapter 20 first, Um, 20, verse 20. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, all his might and all, he had made a pool and a tunnel and brought water into a city. That's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. I've been through it many times. Are they not written in the book of Chronicles and the kings of Judah? Then Hezekiah rested with his fathers. Then Manasseh, His son reigned in his place. Now the next verse is very important. It says Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Do the math. How many years was given to Hezekiah? 15. Hezekiah, Manasseh, would have never been born if plan A would have been accepted. And when we read about Manasseh, he reigned for the next 52 years All the good that Hezekiah as a good king had established is not only going to be undone, but Manasseh, of all the kings of Israel, was the worst. Let's read just a little bit about him. Verse 2, he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. 
He rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. So all the works of his father, he wiped out. He raised the altars for Baal, made woman, woman, (laughs) sorry about that, Freudian slip there, (laughs) made wooden images. Um, Ahab, king of Israel, had done, and he worshiped the host of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem I will put my name. He built altars for all the house of the heavens in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his sons to pass through the fire, we're talking about child sacrifice here, practice soothsaying, witchcraft, he consulted spirits or demons and mediums, he did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger, pick it up with 9, 10, and 11, Uh, verse 9, but they paid no attention And Manasseh succeeded them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. The Lord allowed Israel to to destroy them because they were so evil. Now we're saying Manasseh was even worse than they were. And the Lord spoke by his servant, the prophet, saying, because Manasseh, the king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before me and has also made Judah sin uh, with his idols. As I look at this, let's go back to our text and we have this prayer request. Hezekiah, get your house in order, I'm bringing you home. I don't want to die, I want to live. And he weeps bitterly and the Lord answers his prayer, plan A happened in the next two years when you read the rest of the accounts of a man's life. Um, He had the extra 15 years and his response to his prayer request we read in um, chapter 39 about what was going to happen because of Hezekiah's sin we read that they would be taken into captivity. Um, So let's pick it up in verse six where the prophet is telling Hezekiah what's gonna happen. He said, the days are coming when all that's in your house that's accumulated shall be carried to Babylon, nothing will be left. It will take away your sons. And verse eight tells us his attitude. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken That's great, explanation points, good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. Now, there was absolutely no concern for anybody else. All the work, the accumulation, was all gonna be for naught because if he wouldn't have been there, these guys from Babylon would have never showed up and Manasseh would have never been born So you can rightfully say that um, those extra 15 years, but in those 15 years, nothing good is spoken of Hezekiah that is good, only bad. So it, it begs the question, wouldn't it have been better for Hezekiah when the Lord spoke to him and said, hey, time to come home, I'm bringing you home. Human emotion kicks in, 
And uh, who wants to die? Nobody. Um, And yet, if he would have said, nevertheless, Lord, not my will be done, but thine. In other words, I won't insist on this prayer. That's not a part of the prayer equation here. But instead of saying, Father knows best, Lord, you do what you think is right. He doesn't do that. Well, this morning I'd like to contrast this prayer. That's why I called it a tale of two prayers with another prayer in the New Testament. And for that one, we need to go to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. It's appropriate because um, this morning we just had communion, commemorating and remembering what our walk with the Lord is, what is all about. But I want, to, I want to remind you of a couple things about Jesus. Even though he was fully God in the flesh, it said he was made in the likeness of man so that he could experience the same things that you and I go through. Even when it came to dying, he had that human part of his nature where being fully God, he was also fully human. He reacted in the same way that any of us would act if we knew that our life was on the line. <laughs> we, had, we had the guys here. Um, we get together from time to time. And we had the Calvary Chapel pastors meet in Appleton yesterday. And because there was a couple of new guys there, I would, as we were going around, I asked the guys if they didn't know the pastor, just to give a little, you know, five-minute synopsis of how they got saved and how they ended up where they are. Well, one of the guys who, who, who pastors in Wisconsin um, was a hardcore biker. He was in the Bad Boys Club, and they did a lot of bad things. And uh, before he got saved, they put a contract out on him. And when you're in the biker world and you have a contract on you, that's serious. There's no way out of it. That's just it. So he's telling his, his story, and he didn't know what to do, so he called some pastor on the phone. And he says, I'm going to get killed. And the pastor says, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> and he says, what do you mean, what's praise the Lord? These guys could be here any minute. I'm serious. And the pastor said again, well, praise the Lord. And he says, well, why are you saying that? He says, because then you'll die, and you'll go to heaven, and you'll be with Jesus. And he says, well, I don't know Jesus. And the pastor says, well, you better do it quickly. <laughs> and this is a true story. You'd have to hear Rick tell the story. Uh, he says, I accepted the Lord right on the spot. And sometimes it, it, it takes that. And uh, he, he showed me his colors. He pulled up his sleeve, and he said they wanted the skin. Uh, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't kill him, uh, but they wanted his colors removed because they're serious about that stuff. Anybody who's been in that world, they understand that uh, when you're marked, you're marked, and that's just the way it is. Well, the same zeal that he had and loyalty that he had for a motorcycle club, he now has for the Lord Jesus Christ, and him and his wife are just great brothers and sisters in the Lord. But guess what? Rick didn't want to die. <laughs> and he was about to die, and he knew it. And um, here we have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, we're picking it up in verse 36. He doesn't want to die either, and he says so. 
Then Jesus, about Matthew 26, verse 36, Jesus came and with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. So here we have a tale of two prayers. Only this is Jesus praying, but he's on his deathbed, so to speak, too, and he knows it all too well. He took with him Peter, the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to him, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, that's like weeping bitterly for Hezekiah, even to death, stay here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and he prayed saying, oh my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Let me reread it, what he's saying here. If it's possible, Father, I don't want to die. If there's any other way for you to bring salvation to this world, if there's any other way, then that's what I want. But this is what he adds. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So he abbreviated his prayer rather than saying this is what I want, but now Jesus adds to it, nevertheless, I believe you know what's best, and I'm gonna put my hope, my trust, my faith in what you think is best in this situation. And of course, there was no other way. There's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. No man has ever lived a perfect life as Jesus had. He fulfilled all of the law completely. And yet, when we read the prophecies, he knew what was lying ahead. That nevertheless, in Hezekiah's place, that led to an evil son and the destruction of the temple and all of its wealth because he he accepted plan B. Jesus, with his nevertheless, submits himself to the Father's will And the results of having the Father's will be done is that salvation uh, has been granted. As we read in Isaiah, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief when you will make his soul an offering for sin. And he shall see his seed, those who would believe on him, He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. All of your descendants or those who are gonna believe on you because you're accepting my will to go to the cross. There's gonna be millions of people and brothers and sisters of Christ, you're it. You're part of the body of Christ. All because the Lord said, nevertheless, not my will be done. And we're inheritors of that. It says he, in verse 12 of Isaiah 53, he bore the sins of many. Yes, he died for the whole world, but not everybody is going to receive him. Good place for an amen. Not everybody, when they hear the message, responds. And that's a choice that we have. Just like I think we have a choice when it comes to our prayer life. James says, well, you can pray and you're gonna get a yes, no, or wait answer. But James tells us a lot of times we don't get an answer because we're just praying for ourselves. You you don't get it answered because you're only praying for yourself. And that was Hezekiah. Hezekiah's prayer was answered, but it was for himself, and nothing really good is said about him. Only bad things happened 
as a result of that. Now, I want to be careful that I'm addressing that prayer at death time because we pray for people all the time. I've seen the Lord heal people miraculously. I've seen uh, ungodly people get healed and godly people not get healed. And I scratch my head. And I don't understand it, but I know the Lord does. So when we pray for those who face death, I've gotten those phone calls. We're gathered around a bed right now. We don't know what to do. They say there's no hope, and we have to make a decision about pulling the plug or not pulling the plug. What do we do? And I said, I'll pray for you guys. That's, that's a decision that I, th- I think should be made for the family. But know, know that I'm praying for you and that God gives you peace, whatever your decision is. And I've prayed for people on their deathbed. And uh, we do ask for healing. And we ask it boldly. But we always preface it because of Hezekiah's prayer. But, Lord, not our will be done. But have help us believe that you actually know what's best because you know what we don't. So thy will be done, but we pray in Jesus' name that you be healed. James addresses this. Now for the sick, and you're not on your deathbed, that's a little bit different. It says call for the elders. And the, 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 the prayer of a righteous man will avail much, and the Lord will raise them up. But not always. And so um, praying with, when you add that, and there's people out there that are wacky and off the wall, and they say, if you say, (laughs) thy will be done, all you're showing is a lack of faith. And I look back at them, and I say, and all you're showing me is a lack of your understanding of the word of God and what it teaches on this issue. It's not a lack of my faith. It's a lack of your lack of understanding of what the word of God teaches on this particular issue. And a classic case is, of course, a tale of two prayers. Plan A, you never know what you're going to get with Hezekiah. In his case, two bad things came down. Let's begin to wind this up this morning by turning to Matthew chapter 6 when it comes to prayer. You know that you have an appointment? We all have an appointment. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days. Implying what? You got so many. That we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Now we're told to pray without ceasing. What does that mean? That means that we're always talking to the Lord in our back of our head at all times. There's times when whenever two or three are gathered together, we're to pray and we take that literally and do that here at Calvary. And when, of course, we have our own personal prayer time. But what we have in Matthew chapter 6 is, of course, something you've been brought up with and you have it memorized. Jesus warns in verse 5, when you pray, don't, don't pray a vain, repetitious prayer. In other words, the same prayer over and over and over again because it can lose its meaning and you can just rattle it off and it won't mean anything. Um, But in this one here, probably the most famous prayer of all time, um, Jesus says in verse eight, therefore do not be like them for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. 
the father knew ahead of time, Hezekiah, now is a good time to come home. I let the boil happen, and I let this happen because I didn't want Manasseh to happen, and I didn't want Babylon to happen. I know those things. You don't know those things. So he says in verse 9, in this manner, I want you to pray. Our Father in heaven. The very first sentence takes your eyes off yourself and on your Father. Anybody want to get me amen on that? Having our eyes off ourselves is the, you'll get you'll you'll get rid of so many trials if you get your eyes off yourself and on the Lord. Second thing, hallowed be your name, acknowledging the the holiness and closeness of the Lord. One of the guys in men's prayer was with the pastors. I can't remember. They just said, "Man, as I walk with the Lord, I just see what a wretch I am." And uh, the comment came up going, that means you're getting closer to Jesus. Because <laughs> the closer you get, you say like the Apostle Paul, oh, wretched man that I am. We're talking about Paul here, right? So the closer you get, you realize how holy he is. It's like Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his, and his glory and his train filled the temple. And I said, woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live with people with unclean lips. I'm undone. Closer you get to the Lord, you realize just how much of a sinner you are. Amen? It's true. Hell would be your name, and then your kingdom come. It's not about here. It's not about now. All we're reading in Isaiah over and over again is we've got to go through the tribulation, but good news, the kingdom's coming. So we're praying for that kingdom to come. And then we have this, your will be done. We need to realize we're free moral agents. We don't have to seek the Lord. We don't have to listen to the Lord. You wake up every morning in the flesh without exception. (laughs) And you have a choice to die to yourself that day or live for yourself that day. And Paul said, I die daily. It's a daily thing. Doesn't mean that you're not saved, but it makes all the difference whether you're gonna walk in the flesh or the spirit that day. Your will be done is the very first thing Jesus instructs us to follow through with. On earth as it is in heaven. It's always done in heaven. And when it comes to your daily things in in Matthew, um, same chapter coming up here, he says, don't worry about the, the worldly stuff, what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink. It says where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. But just give us what we need. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, Lord, because we blow it during the day. And forgive us those that sin against us. Lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Why? Because yours is the kingdom. I'll, I'll focus back on the Lord again. Yours is the power. And yours is the glory. Forever. And he says, Amen. As we make our way through the book of Isaiah, we've just finished section two. It's one of the greatest kings that ever lived. I always like to mess with people who don't know the Bible very well, and I'll ask them to turn to the book of Hezekiah. It sounds like it should be a book in the Bible, doesn't it? And they start looking, and I'll, 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 let them, I'll, I'll string them on for a little bit, and I say, haven't you found it yet? And I said, you haven't found it because it's not in there. <laughs> then they get mad at me. 
But as we make our way through the book of Isaiah, we have these four little chapters that teach us a very, very important lesson. When it's your time, it's your time. And we're not to fear it. And I know that goes against our nature. But the closer you understand this book and what it teaches about what happens afterwards, you take on sort of more the mentality that the apostle Paul said, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? You see, I'm never going to die. Oh, you're going to move, but you're never going to die. And when you do, 2 Corinthians 5 says, we know that when this tent, this body, is destroyed, we have a home not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. And every person here is going to live forever. Every person listening on the internet, you're going to live forever. That's not the question. The question is, where are you going to live forever? And when Isaiah said he died for the sins of many, did he die for your sins? And have you exercised the free will that he gave you as a free will agent that say, I accept the sacrifice, the great exchange where Jesus died not just for all you guys. No, he just died for me personally. And if you were the only one, he still would have come. You would have been the one that killed him, but he would have died for you. And that is uh, something he did not want to do, if there was any other way. But there wasn't. And he added that very, very important. And I'll close with this. When you pray, it's not a lack of faith, but a showing of wisdom of your knowledge of the word of God to pray, nevertheless. This, Lord, I don't, want, I don't like what's coming down what I'm seeing right now, but nevertheless, if this is part of your plan A, then I'll, I'll, I'll choose plan A over plan B any day. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we make our way through Isaiah... We see a man who is just a man, and like any of us, when put in a situation and we realize our own mortality, none of us want to leave. But it's simply because we've never seen the other side, sort of like a baby in the womb. We hear the sounds and we see through a glass darkly. But when we see you face to face, Lord, we'll wonder why did we ever not want to get here sooner. So, Lord, as we make our way through the scriptures, we pray this morning those listening to this study would let go and actually, as you speak to us, say, this is what I'd like done, Lord, but you know better. Nevertheless, let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.